This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. My guest, Amanda Shires, is a singer, songwriter, and fiddle player. She performs in several settings and has received awards in each of them. In 2017, for her solo work, she was named Emerging Artist of the Year at the Americana Music and Honors Awards Ceremony. The next year, she won a Grammy for Best Americana Album as part of her husband's group, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. Shires plays fiddle in the band. She co-founded the country supergroup The High Women, which includes Brandi Carlisle, Maren Morris, and Natalie Hemby. In 2020, The High Women won Album of the Year at the Americana Music Honors and Awards Ceremony. Shira started playing fiddle professionally when she was 15 with the band The Texas Playboys, which used to be led by Bob Wills, the father of Western Swing. Shira's new album, Take It Like a Man, includes several songs she wrote that came out of a difficult period in her marriage to Jason Isbell. I recorded my interview with her last week. She was in her home recording studio with her fiddle and with guitarist Zach Setchfield, and they played a few songs. Let's start with a track from the new album. The song is called Empty Cups. You're leaving now through the hole of an argument. I guess for a while you've been looking for the exit. You slam the door so hard I still hear rattling spoons. The sound of silence rings in every room. That last talk left me a That's Empty Cups from Amanda Shire's new album, Take It Like a Man. That's such a great song, Amanda. I'm so glad you wrote it. How did you come up with the image of my hands are two empty cups? Honestly, a lot of times my thoughts come to me just in pictures. And um, I kept imagining like how I had nothing left to give and nothing I could do or say to make anything feel right like within me somehow. And so I felt, in, in my mind, I felt those things, and it was a picture of of hands holding on to nothing. And sometimes, you know, you can, like, cup your hands and drink water from them, or you could cup your hands, and I don't know, there's a lot of things you do with your hands. But um, it struck me the most as matching the feeling of, of desperation or even begging. You know, you've said that a lot of the songs on this album come from a troubled period of your marriage to songwriter and singer Jason Isbell, who you perform with, um, and who plays on this album. <laughs> M- <laughs> many songwriters would say, oh, they're not about me, they're just songs. Because mm-hmm. uh, everybody goes through troubles in their relationship. These really aren't personal. Um, 
So since they are personal songs, you had to decide to say that. How did you decide to say that these songs are really about a bad period of your marriage? When I write songs, I go into it either with an idea to explore something, um, make sense of the world or my feelings, you know, all that. But um, this part of of my life and our marriage was difficult, and it, it took me back to the reason I came to writing and doing music in the first place, which is expression and <laughs> trying to do something for me that could make me make sense, I guess. So when I would write the songs, I don't know what's going to come out, but sometimes it was so, I was just so down that the only way I could get better was to take it out on, on writing a song. And when I would write these songs, it was never in my mind, oh, I have to record them because that's not how I go into songwriting. And then it was never like, oh, they have to be on a record once I do record them. Um, then I get to the end of the recording process and try to decide what makes the best collection of songs. And um, Empty Cups wasn't the, even the hardest one for me to put on there. It was Fault Lines, but um, I had about seven different album sequences going on. And I guess when we got to the third album sequence that I had, Jason was like, why, why isn't Fault Lines on there? And I said, I don't know. I just feel like that invites a lot of conversation and questions, you know, into our marriage and our relationship. And I don't know how I feel about that. And um, he said, well, you can always put it on there and just choose not to answer questions about it. And, you know, or you can, he, he was pushing for me to leave Fault Lines on there because it is a good song, as he said. But um, yeah, after a while thinking about it, I got more comfortable with it and, and here it sits. You know, your husband plays on this album, but the songs are about a bad period in your marriage. Um, when do you show him the songs? Like, do you say, hey, honey, here's a song I wrote about how bad things are between us right now. <laughs> you know, like, how, how does that go? Or did you keep so, the songs, like, kind of secret for a while? So I thought if I could write a, a song with my feelings in it, that it might bring him around to to the um the the walls that aren't really walls that we put ourselves behind sometimes um and then this this certain period of time there was a lot and then coupled with the pandemic and all that he was he was on self-preservation mode and I was too but anyway so I went and I sat down in my barn of internal wandering and um this is after some kind of nebulous argument and I um wrote fault lines and then I texted it to him just like you'd imagine I said I just wrote this song and then in my mind I thought well if he couldn't hear the frequency of my voice before maybe it, he could hear it through music you know and one day we wound up in the studio and we cut the song and after we recorded it um, he said that's a really good song and I said that's all you have to say <laughs> that's all you have to say <laughs> no more <laughs> but um through the process of making the record and, you know, all the things that go with that, the, the hours and the tedium, um, it got easier for us to have conversations, not because we were doing the work of, of addressing the problems, um, but because we were found common ground on, a, on something again, which has always been music and words. Can I ask how things are now? 
I mean, I think they're pretty good. He still can't seem to notice when the dishwasher's uh, unloaded and all the dishes are put away. He can leave a dish in the sink, you know. Other than that, I think we're all right. <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, so let's hear a song about when things weren't so all right. And this is, <laughs> can I ask you to perform Fault Lines? Did you do an excerpt sure. of it? Yeah, I can do an excerpt. I'm going to play fiddle, and I'm going to sing, and Zach's going to play guitar. Time was all I'd want You could keep the car in the house we both know that none of that was keeping, keeping me anyhow. I cried, I asked, and I bawled, curled up in the floor with it all. All the time, the want, the overwhelming volume of breathing. You could say it's all my fault. We just couldn't get along And so you know I'll say I don't know But no one's gonna be asking me Nothing left to fix You could say I lost my grip Say whatever feels better or whatever You could just say I'm crazy You could say it's all my fault We just couldn't get along And so you know I'll say I don't know But no one's gonna be asking me the character you wrote yourself out to be the flagship all part of my fooling Thank you for doing that. That's the song Fault Lines, performed by Amanda Shires with Zach Setchfield on guitar in Amanda's home studio outside of Nashville, Tennessee. That's one of the songs on her new album, Take It Like a Man. So let's talk about that song a little bit. It sounds like you were about to leave the marriage. Um, I don't know that, well... I don't know that I was going to leave or that Jason was going to leave. It didn't it felt like maybe we'd both leave at the same time. <laughs> but um I did move a couple of times out of the house. Um not because it was a leaving thing, but because I didn't want to do anything that would harm, you know, make it worse. I didn't want to do more damage. I want to change the subject here. You've been very outspoken about the right to have an abortion. And you've called on country music stars to speak out to 
you had an abortion. And then more recently, just about a year ago in August of 2021, you had an ectopic pregnancy. And that's when the fertilized egg stays in the fallopian tube as, as opposed to being in the uterus where it belongs. And the fallopian tube just can't, um, it, it can't expand enough to uh, accommodate a growing fetus. So either you have surgery or I think you die. Is that right? I mean, is it fatal for a woman if nothing is done? There's a medication that you, you can't take right now after, you know, about two weeks after this happened to me. Um, I, I, I believe that's when that that became not an option. But there's a medication you can take that um, uh, aborts the fertilized egg from your fallopian tube. And um, usually that works. In my case, I, I blame the education system, but I didn't even know what an ectopic pregnancy was. So by the time I went into the hospital, my fallopian tube had already ruptured and I'd been internally bleeding for a whole lot of hours. And um, so I just had to get emergency surgery to remove the tube and clean the blood from inside of my body. That sounds really, really awful. Um, Were you in Texas at the time? On August 9th, yes, I was in Texas at, at Austin City Limits. Yeah, so it was just like a, a week and a half or two weeks afterwards that Texas banned abortion. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have been able to have the surgery if abortion had already been banned in Texas? I, I would have had to find somebody to drive me to uh, Mexico or somewhere else. Well, in, in 2020, you and your husband, Jason Isbell, recorded a duet of a song you wrote called The Problem. And... The song is from the perspective of a teenage couple. Um, she gets pregnant and wants to have an abortion, although she doesn't feel great about it. And he's saying, you know, basically that he's going to support her, that he's there for her. Mm-hmm. It's a great song, so I thought we'd, we'd play some of it. Um, so here's a, my guest Amanda Shires and Jason Isbell singing her song, The Problem. What do you want to do? I'm scared to even say the truth This has been the hardest year Is it even legal here? Trying not to think of names Will you look at me the same? Do you need the reasons why? Is a chrysalis a Amanda Shires, how did you decide you wanted to write a song about abortion, and how did you figure out what you wanted your point of view to be? You know, like who who this song would be about. I began writing that song when I did the record um, "My Piece of Land" a long a long while back. Then I tried recording it in a in a couple of other situations, and I just didn't have it right yet. When it came down to it, when I finally got it done and recorded, Amy Coney Barrett had gotten sworn in and I was thinking about how 
much um, the stories matter. In that song, it's part my story and part, you know, stories I've, I, I know from friends. And um, in this case, I wanted Jason to also come in and sing it too. That way there could be a, a more kind of a wider effort to try and um, have the conversation with folks and realize that you're not alone. And then you also, you've got guys that'll back you up. And I know that Jason's platform's bigger than mine. And I know that he likes to help. And I know that he feels the same way I do. And it just worked when we did it. And it also made me stronger in the fact that I could feel comfortable singing about it and talking about it. You grew up in Lubbock, Texas, and Mineral Wells, Texas, and you got your start professionally at age 15 playing fiddle with the Texas Playboys. And this is the iteration of the band um, of Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, which got their start. And they were most famous in the uh, 30s and 40s and 50s. And um, Bob Wills was like the father of Western swing, which combined country music and jazz. So... To give listeners a sense of Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, listeners who don't know who they are, this is a classic 1940 recording of New San Antonio Rose. Deep within my heart lies a melody, a song of old San Antonio, where in dreams I live with the memory beneath the stars all along. So that was Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys from 1940. Their song, Newt San Antonio Rose, with Leon McAuliffe on steel guitar. Tommy Duncan was the singer. So, Amanda, you took fiddle lessons from Frankie McWhorter, who played with Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys from 60 to 62. 62 was the year that Bob Wills had a heart attack and retired for a long time from, from music. So when you started taking lessons with Frankie McWhorter and then became part of the band, how much did you know about Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys? I didn't know anything about them. I just fell in love with the music is what happened. I was learning orchestra and classical music in school and privately, and then my orchestra teacher recommended me to um, a private violin teacher, and I got awarded a scholarship to be able to go to those. And um, luckily, my teacher was one of those good and rare teachers that that, um, notices when, you know, when a student needs a little more help. So I would be studying my pieces, and um, Lanny feel he would say, you're really, really great at the parts you love, and the other parts are just kind of asleep. And I said, yeah, I, I, I feel like there's there's not a lot happening there emotionally for me, so I couldn't really get into it. And um, a couple of lessons like that, he, he pulled out um, some fiddle tunes that he had been transcribing orally from Frankie McCorder. And um, he said, try playing this one. And I said, okay. And then I fell in love. It was love at first listen. And I was like, that's what I want to do because you play the song and then you also get to play, you get to improvise, which is when you go off the page, as they say, or you just play what you feel 
within the chords. And um, I was I was really into that. And uh, from there, he introduced me to Frankie McCorder. And then my mom would drive me down there, and I'd sit on his porch, and he'd play songs, and I'd learn them. Um, so we have to take another short break here. So let me reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, my guest is songwriter, singer, musician Amanda Shires, and her latest album is called Take It Like a Man. We'll be right back after a short break. I'm Terry Gross, and this is Fresh Air. Let's get back to the interview I recorded last week with singer, songwriter, and fiddle player Amanda Shires. Her new album of original songs is called Take It Like a Man. She also co-founded the country supergroup The High Women, which includes Brandi Carlisle, Maren Morris, and Natalie Hemby. Shires plays fiddle in her husband Jason Isbell's band, Jason Isbell on the 400 Unit. When we left off, we were talking about when Shires was 15 and started playing fiddle with the Texas Playboys, which used to be Bob Wills' band. Wills was the father of Western Swing. You have your fiddle with you. Can you play something that, that you think kind of epitomizes the style that you learned and fell in love with? And it could be something you played with the Texas Playboys when you're performing with them or something mm-hmm. that you learned from one of your teachers, but that really made you fall in love with the style and that epitomizes what that style is. There's a song called Milk Cow Blues. It's a blues, you know, and then and and the words are amazing and and always brought me a smile. But um, and and after you did the 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 main melody part, you get to improvise, and I really liked it. And Milk Cow Blues goes like this. you. <laughs> Some of the words are funny. It goes, um, I woke up this morning and I looked out my door. I could tell my milk cow. I could tell by the way she loathes. If you've seen my milk cow, please drive her on home. Because I had no milk and butter, no, since my cow's been gone. Um, how did you end up actually playing in the Texas Playboys band? It was because Tommy Alsop was living in Snyder, Texas at that time. And um, he was running the Bob Wills band. And um, Frankie and Lanny, my teachers, we were at Lanny's house the first time Tommy came over, and then I met him, and um, these guys are in their 70s and 80s, and it was very much like hanging out with lots of granddads, and um, sometimes Tommy would show me stuff on guitar, like a melody to play, and see see if I could memorize it or retain it or whatever, but um, one one time, you know, not everybody could make a show, and... um, Tommy said, if you can hold down that lower third harmony, and I'd, I'd love to, you know, have that spot filled. And I said, I'd love to. And for a lot of folks, that can be the most boring part of the three-part string ensemble thing. But for me, I was just happy to be up there playing music I loved. And um, so I got to do that basically because I was willing to work in a group and play a, a part and do just that thing and show up on time and my stuff worked. And I followed the dress code. I had no problem taking direction, but and I had no problem helping when I needed to help. So, so how seriously were you taken by the musicians in the band? Were you just like, like the cute kid who could play, um, but you know, 
that audiences would go wild over because you were a girl in the band and there wasn't much of that. The audience really never went wild over me because um, it took me a minute to really learn how to improvise. And But I think for the, the players in the band, um, they took me seriously as a player, but they also understood that I was a kid. And I remember the first time I sang ever, Leon Rausch, had to hold my hand. I was doing fine, and then I was just like, no sound would come out of my mouth. And um, <laughs> I like played the part. I got up to sing, and I was like, oh, crap. And I was trying to sing that song, A Little Walk With You. But anyway, he just grabbed my hand and held it, and then we did it, um, sing the song. But they took me seriously, but they also knew the seriousness and the impact of, of the help that they were giving me. Were you nervous about being on stage or just about singing? Uh, about singing, yes. It, it, I didn't start learning how to accept my voice until recently. <laughs> Lawrence Rothman has been a model of self-accepting themselves. And um, while I, I know the voice that I have is what I have, I accept it now, whereas before I would just, in my mind, wish it was something different, like Etta James or something. Lawrence Rothman produced your new album. Um, so wh- what didn't you like about your voice? Why Why... Why weren't you accepting it? I just, I've never been a fan of the way my voice sounds. I don't feel like it matches what's going on inside my brain. What would the right voice be? Like, what's wrong? What doesn't match? I feel like it's a little nasally. And um, <laughs> I wish it was like like a little bit lower. What I hear in your voice is that it it rings out. It's not trapped in your throat. It rings out like it's supposed to. That's that. Well, see, I'm accepting that 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 it sounds like it's supposed to now. So one of the ways you ended up becoming a songwriter as well as a singer and musician was that Billy Joe Shaver heard you play. And um, tell us. I forced myself in that position. You forced yourself in the position of having him hear you play. Yeah. um, I was playing a music festival. And I, I noticed that there was a fiddle on stage with Billy Joe, and there was and there was a guy that also played the guitar, like a multi-instrumentalist side person. And I hadn't heard the fiddle being played at all. And, um, you know, I didn't know that this was a thing you should normally ask to do because I was young. But I just got up on a stage and took the fiddle and started playing it. So you ended up like accompanying him? Yep, <laughs> without, yep, on his songs without, without asking. Without I him asking, yeah, without yeah. you asking. Uh, and his reaction was what? Uh, you want to come to the play the show tomorrow night too? And I said, yes, I'd love to. Oh, that's great. Um, on your Twitter, you describe yourself as a disciple of Leonard Cohen. That's like part of your identity on, mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, what made you think of yourself as his disciple? I, have, did you actually meet him, or just through listening to his records that you feel like you're his disciple? I've I've listened to all of his records. I've um, found and scrounged and continue to for every interview that he's done in any form in any language, and I um, save them all and I um, return to them often. And um, I also went to Greece and hung out at his house and nobody would let me in but I sat there anyway um I own one of his guitars and whoa um, how did you manage to do that well that that was this that part's a secret Terry oh okay (laughs) (laughs) one of the things I love about his music is the way he combined 
the spiritual and the profane mm-hmm. in in his in his songs and the spiritual and like anger and resentment and despair um do you have uh, you you do a great version of I'm your man his song I'm your man on um mm-hmm. on YouTube is there a song that you could play a Leonard Cohen song you could play an excerpt of uh for mm-hmm. us and in, in tribute to him since we're both such great fans. It, it doesn't have to be I'm your man. I just know that you've done that. But I like it because I like to imagine, um, like if he was alive and I got to play this for him, I would be singing, I'm your Amanda. I'm not joking. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> well, why don't you sing some of it for us? If you want a lover, I'll do anything you ask me to And if you want another kind of love I'll wear a mask for you If you want a partner, take my hand Or only want to strike me down in anger Here I stand I am your man If you want a boxer, I'll step in the ring for you. And if you want a doctor, I'll examine every inch of you. If you want a driver, climb inside. Or only want to take me for a ride, you know you can. I am your man. <laughs> oh, I I I wish he could have heard you do it. My whole left arm is tattoos of Leonard Co- Cohen. Seriously? Not joking. Oh wow! I really do feel like um, he did a lot of work for me that I don't have to do. Like I know that in all of the searching that he did, still believe that there was something bigger out there. So I don't have to go trying to learn all these other things I could just trust based based on how Leonard Cohen did all that work for us. Um, I think it's time for another break. So let's do that. If you're just joining us, my guest is songwriter, singer, and musician Amanda Shires, and her latest album is called Take It Like a Man. We'll be right back. This is Fresh Air. Let's get back to my interview with singer, songwriter, and musician Amanda Shires. She's also one of the founders of the group The High Women. I want to talk with you about the high women, and this is basically like a a country supergroup. It's it's you, Brandy Carlisle, Natalie Hemby, Maren Morris. Um, why did you want to form this group? In 2016, I was um, going on the road. Um, my daughter was uh, about a year old, and I was getting into my touring van because I hadn't worked my way into a bus yet, and. Um, as it happened, um, eventually the auxiliary cable quit working in the van, so I was left to the radio choices of sports ball and um, country, top 40 country music. Also, during this time when I was leaving, I was thinking about um, how Mercy was, you know, picked up a kazoo and she could play a kazoo. And, you know, Mercy she, is your she daughter. Dan- oh, yes, Mercy's my daughter. And she would dance 
a little bit to the Beatles and stuff and, and started seeing the possibility that she might go into music one day. So I started just taking notes on the radio because I heard it. I heard uh, in 22 songs, one woman's voice I heard, and it was a Carrie Underwood song from, it was like six years before that or something. And um, even on the charts, that's one spot usually, I think in 2016, there was 13% representation of women to men on country radio. And now it's, it still sits pleasantly at 16% on a good week. Um, but I thought, what am I going to do about that in the event that she does go into country music? And then I thought about Waylon and Chris and them of the Highwaymen, and I was like, they were kind of speaking about ageism. I said, it'd be cool if I was the high women or maybe had a band, the high women. Then I told my friend Dave Cobb about my idea and he really liked it. And he said, I'm going to have you meet Brandy Carlisle. And we met. And then really while the idea was mine, it wasn't only me that made the, the high women be a thing. It was, it was, it took Dave Cobb and it took Brandy and, um, then it took Natalie and Marin Morris. Well, I want to play um, a song performed by the High Women, and the song is actually called "The High Women," and it's a song sung from the point of view of different women. One is um, a Honduran asylum seeker who who died while trying to cross the border. Another is a freedom rider who died during the freedom rides, um, and your verse. You are somebody who thinks of herself as a healer, but was hung in the gallows during the Salem witch trials. Um, why was that the verse that, that you wrote or, or sang for yourself? Well, myself and Brandy wrote the song. Brandy Carlisle? Yes. Uh, you know, it's Jimmy Webb's song originally, but... The Highwayman. Yeah. That's um, his song. Mm -hmm. We were writing that, and... Um, Brandy was like, I'm going to take the first one. And um, Natalie said, I want I want the one about preaching. That one speaks to me. And I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll be the healer. And healer seemed fitting for me, um, not only because it happened that way, but um, my mom's a nurse. And um, I don't know, I think a, a lot of women are born healers and nurturers. So this track features you, Natalie Hemby, and Yola is a guest artist on it. And I think Cheryl Crow plays bass on that one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let, yeah. let's hear a, a little bit of that song. We'll definitely get to uh, your verse, which is the second one. I was a high woman And a mother from my youth For my children I did what I had to do my family left Honduras when they killed the Sandinistas. We followed our coyote through the dust of Mexico. Every one of them except for me survived, and I am still alive. I was a healer. I was gifted as a girl. I laid hands upon the world Someone saw me sleeping Naked in the noon sun I heard witchcraft in the whispers And I knew my time had come The 
bastards hung me at the Salem gallows hill, but I am living still. So that was the High Women, which is a song performed by the supergroup The High Women, which was co-founded by my guest Amanda Shires and Brandy Carlisle. So one of the things you learned, like I think in the past few years, is that your grandfather had spent years in prison? Oh, right, uh, in Alcatraz. When it reopened, he was in the first 200. How did you find that out, and how come you didn't know before? I found that out um, for Christmas. Jason's um, merchandise guy, Chance, gave us each our family trees. And um, I was reading mine, and I was like, my granddad was in Alcatraz? No way. I didn't believe it. And then I asked Chance, and Chance was like, no, those are real documents. They're just, you know, scans of them. And I told my mom to come over because I had something to show her, and um, she came over, and I showed her, and she's like, I had no idea. And then she wanted to know if it was real, so she hired a private investigator and all this. But um, it was true, and he was there for 25 years, and um, after he did his time, he didn't say anything about it. And he married my grandmother, but I think she she probably knew, but she was very... um, good at keeping a lot of secrets. Um, I think she probably do 100%, but... Um, was this your mother's father or your father's father? My mother's father. So your mother didn't know? That no. Her father not, had spent 25 years in Alcatraz. No, not until a couple of years ago. And um, the reason I think that my grandmother knew is because also lately we found out that my um, mom's oldest sister isn't, um, doesn't have the same dad as her, as my granddad. So there's thinking, my thinking is that, um, my granddad married my grandmother knowing that she was pregnant with somebody else's child. And they, I think they probably had conversations and that, that you would, if you were that close to each other about that stuff and didn't bring it up. And then, and neither of them told us that stuff. We found it all this out afterwards. I, your mother, um, earlier in her life, worked as a bail bondsman, right? Mm-hmm. She did. Uh, we would sleep on the um, the floor in the closet there because she would do the night shift because she would was going to school in the daytime for being a nurse, and she was also holding down a day job as a single mom. I think it's so interesting that your mother worked as a bail bondsman not knowing that her own father had spent so much time in prison. I mean, okay, I'm going to call her up after this, too. I like the way these lines kind of happen in in our lives and, like, tributaries in a way that we don't realize are happening. The uh, bail bondsmen are often, their offices are often located in a very low-rent part of town. (laughs) Across from the jail. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. So did you ever visit her at work? Oh, yeah, I had to spend the night with her at work. Um, I would, she would set us up in the, um, in the closet of the bail bonds office, and um, we had a TV that we'd watch, you know, Saturday Night Live on Saturdays, and um, we w- would be quiet so that she wouldn't get in trouble because uh, it was a lot then to be a single mom and deal with the the difference in pay for men versus women. So she did daytime jobs, she was going to school, and she was doing the bail bonding on the nights, and uh, 
it was much safer for us to sleep in the closet with the TV at the bail bonding place than to be left to our own devices at home. So I think she did a good job. Let's take another break here. If you're just joining us, my guest is songwriter, singer, and musician Amanda Shires. Her latest album is called Take It Like a Man. We'll be right back. This is Fresh Air. So I'm going to ask you to play one more song uh, from your new album to perform it for us. Is there a song that that you'd like to do? Uh, Take It Like a Man. That's the title song from the from the new album. What does that phrase mean to you, and why did you want to work it into a song? I didn't know I was going to work it into a song until I got to to writing it. Um, in a, in, a, in a lot of it, it's multi layered. The meaning "take it like a man," um, but a lot of times when you're growing up and taught what how to be successful and how to be to survive in the world with as a woman with a career and all this and all this stuff and probably young many young kids are taught this like don't cry don't show your emotions be stoic be strong everything else is weakness and um because I was in the time of my life where I was having a disconnect in my marriage and not feeling great um, in with music, but um, I discovered that it takes a lot to be vulnerable and it takes a lot to talk to folks and to understand each other. And I think there's more valuable strength there than there is in suppressing your emotions and poisoning yourself with your own feelings, I guess. But well, would you play Take It Like a Man for us? I would love to. Like a common started hearing birds, bird song everywhere, a lark in the shower, from the night to the morning after. Amanda Shires, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for doing the interview. Thank you for performing for us. Thank you for your songs. 
Thank you so much, and thank you for putting up with me, and thank you so much for um, having me as a guest. I'm a big, big fan. And me of you, so thank you. And I also want to thank Zach Setchfield for playing guitar, and also Diana Walsh, who engineered your end of the music and the conversation from your home studio in, well, outside of Nashville. So thanks, thanks to them as well. Tomorrow on Fresh Air, we'll talk about the power, promise, and potential harm of YouTube. Our guest will be Mark Bergen, author of the new book, Like, Comment, Subscribe, in which he reports on how YouTube ushered in a world of abundant content and creativity, of influencers and online hustlers, of information overload and endless culture wars. Bergen is a reporter for Bloomberg Businessweek. I hope you'll join us. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Simon, Teresa Madden, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Thea Chaloner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorrock directs the show. I'm Terry Gross. We'll close with the opening track from Amanda Shire's new album, The song is called Hawk for the Dove.